lollygagged the ball around the infield. You lollygagged your way down to first. You lollygagged in and out of the dugout. Do you know what that makes you, Larry? Lollygaggers. Lollygaggers. This is the Bullpen Brothers. And welcome, Bullpen Brothers. Randy Heights, Dave Myrick here. It's the week after the Big 12. It's regional week, Dave. And, man, crazy weekend last week in the Big 12. TCU finally playing like the team everyone thought coming into the season. And everyone else just fighting for the regional life. Yeah, TCU, that's a scary club. And the Horn Frogs, Randy, I watched them up close and personal down in Arlington. They were the best team in the league uh, by a wide margin right now with the way Kirk Sarlos has his guys going. Uh, Oklahoma, what looked to be kind of a magical and, and a run of putting everything together at the right time, through a game in six innings looked exactly that. That's the best baseball top to bottom I'd seen them play all year. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, the bullpen does what the bullpen has done this year and then kind of let them down there on the back end to go with some errors. And, you know, they get walked off in emphatic fashion by Texas Tech. And did not see the same OU team take the field the next day to play the Cowboys. But they did enough by beating OSU once to uh, to slip into the tournament, which is what their goal was. And, uh, yeah, now we see what happens. It's, it's all on the line now for all these teams that made it. Yeah, when you look at everything that happened in the Big 12 last week, I thought it was very interesting day one. I mean, to be honest with you, we can have this RPI debate and we'll get into it more. I mean, there's a part of me, based on how the committee went, I really didn't think after day one when the top three seeds all lose, I thought Big 12 may not get a host at all this year because look how the committee named their host. I mean, they went straight RPI, and Oklahoma State was the only one really out of the top 16 that got one of those spots. So good for Oklahoma State, good for the Big 12. But this committee, you know, they relied so much on that, and that's why day one of the tournament, I was like, ooh, it just got real interesting for the Big 12. Yeah, I did. Day one, I'm sitting down there in Texas loses, you know, on a, on a grand slam to Kansas, and they were in prime position to host, coming off a sweep of West Virginia. And then it kind of fell to everybody's talking about, all right, West Virginia's back in the mix to host. They lose, and then they both lose the next day. And it was like, you know, we're playing a party down here if nobody wants to host. And Oklahoma State eventually stepped up and, and did enough to get that host spot. But, you know, during the tournament and after, things fell that did not look like it was going to be in Oklahoma's favor to make that thing. You brought up the RPI. That that saved their bacon. A big shout-out to Ryan Gaines, Gaines, Director of Baseball Operations at Oklahoma, for, for getting some tough teams on that schedule. And uh, credit to them for winning it. And they, they did enough to make the tournament. But, man, that was a, it was a wild Big 12 tournament, and it was predictably unpredictable. It was more of what we've seen all year long from this conference. No doubt about it, man. I mean, it was one of the weirdest tournaments because almost as bad as Oklahoma State looked on day one, they played pretty well the rest of the tournament coming out and and battling to make it to the title game. And that was just a case they ran up against it. And it's kind of the one philosophy I have with the Big 12 through the regionals is what happened to Oklahoma State last week. I don't know if anyone in this conference can afford to win a game if they want to make super regionals. I don't know if there's anyone that can come out of the loser's bracket in the Big 12. No, I agree with that. And that brings up another interesting point. I had Calvin Kirkland on the show last week who pinch hit for you. Uh, You were going through some stuff, did a great job for us. But uh, he brought up a a point for Texas. 
after sweeping West Virginia, they were in a great spot. You know, they had won the share of the Big 12 championship. They were going to host, no doubt about it. What really did they have to gain from coming to Arlington to play at that point? And the more I thought about it, he, he's right. I, I don't know what they had. All you can do in that situation is lose out, and that's exactly what happened to Longhorns. Now, yeah, they can control that, you know, by what happens on the field. But motivation in that situation, I just – I'm kind of with him that it, it does more harm than good at this tournament uh, for, for teams in postseason play. I, I am to a degree, except, you know, we sit there and we talk about it. If this would have been an old-school Texas team or, you know, some of the other teams in the conference – where when we say all they had to do was win to host, or, you know, they just, you know, they were going to host. Here's the thing. Look at the committee. Look at where their RPI was last week going in. I think we all assume just because they won the conference or finished as the number one seed, they were a guaranteed host. Their RPI may have not got them a host if they don't play in the tournament. We know now it definitely cost them an RPI, I mean, a host, you would think. But, but I'm not sure, man. I mean, look at how everything played out RPI-related. And that's where I think the difference – Texas did have something to play for. They weren't a top-eight national seed that knew, hey, if we fall on our face this weekend, we're still going to have a host, worst-case scenario. No one in this conference, I think, should have felt that way going into last week. No, and on the flip side, I mean, and what I told him on the show when he brought the point up was you've also got some teams that need this tournament to prove to the, the committee that they belong, that they need this tournament to try to stack some more wins against good teams. That's ultimately what happened with Oklahoma. They'd be the top 20 RPI Oklahoma State. But, you know, these conference tournaments, as uh, Ben McDonald touched on, Stanford wins the Pac-12 without beating a single top 25 opponent all year long and still hosts. Mm-hmm. So the committee, the committee kind of contradicts themselves by rewarding some with RPI and really making that the focus, yet giving a team without a top 25 win a host because what they did in their conference. So you kind of get what I'm saying with these conference tourneys. I I, don't know where the committee stands with that. Well, I don't think it puts a lot of stock into it other than maybe some major RPI movement. You know, it can maybe hurt. And, yeah, those teams that were on the bubble of hosting, like let's say Texas, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, that's where you can play your way into the host spot or – someone else in your conference is going to play your way in. Oklahoma State, in my opinion, took that spot. I thought the Big 12 was going to get one slot, and it was going to go to one of those three teams. And Oklahoma State was the last man standing when it came to it in the Big 12 tournament out of those three teams. So it's it's a yin and yang. I'm not a big fan of either side of it saying no conference tournaments or conference tournaments. I, I think you can look at positives from both sides of it. And this year, the RPI was king. And I thought Big Ben, when, you know, we're going to talk to him and we already taped the interview, so it's not, you know, spilling government secrets here. But I I think he's right, and it's what I've always said about the RPI. Everyone says it's a flawed system. There's no perfect system. But when there's 300-plus college baseball teams, there is no way that committee can watch every game, watch every team, and the RPI is the best solution for now until somebody really comes up and shows, hey, this is how to judge strength of team. Because otherwise you're going to have everyone out playing a Sisters of the Poor schedule and they're going to go 25-0 and in the non-conference play and they can go 500 in conference play. And look at that overall record, man. It's, right. just, it's just there's no perfect solution. 
no, there's there's too many teams in baseball to, to be. I mean, unless you just wanted to get a field of, you know, 190 and, and let it rip. But that's not going to happen. It's not logical until we have what we have. I think it, we're talking a whole lot more about this because of, you know, where certain big full teams found themselves at the end of the year is why it's a topic right now. If they had all comfortably been in as two seeds, you know, the last few weeks, I don't think we're having, you know, as, as much of a debate on it. But, you know, it's kind of jumping back to the Big 12 tournament. You know, being down there and covering it this week uh, and having been to one in Bricktown or numerous in Bricktown, I kind of wanted to talk about the atmosphere in the host site. What are your thoughts on having it down at Globe Life uh, opposed to the Bricktown ballpark? The only positive having it in Globe Life over anywhere else in the Big 12 map is the fact it's an indoor stadium and you know you're not going to have to deal with rain delays like it seems like the SEC has to do every year. Because the one thing we can say, whether that tournament is important to every team, you made mention of it earlier. It's important to some teams. And maybe the only way someone's going to get in is by winning it. So if you don't get the games played, there goes that one team's opportunity that may have had a bunch of injuries early on and got hot at the right time. You know, they were really good and they got hot and they could have won it. So the only positive to me is you know you're playing the games. Other than that, from watching on TV, I haven't been down there, but I did go to Arlington when it was at the old ballpark before. It's such a sterile environment because even if you have 10, 12, 13, 14,000 fans, it looks empty, man. It's not a good college environment. No, no. And I, I can tell you from being there, Globe Life is – immaculate it's beautiful the amenities are top of the line and it's absolutely empty for these games and when you get out of the stadium you know you're surrounded by parking lots and office buildings for literally miles on all sides i don't know why there's not a hotel within walking distance or restaurants well there's the uh, one hotel that's owned by the same people that built globe life Go exactly figure. but yeah if you don't spend 500 a night to stay there yeah you're going to be driving and then paying to park but well, the point I'm making is it makes trying to get any type of college-like atmosphere impossible at this place. I'm with you. You know, if, if you're a believer of the game is what's important, not the atmosphere, this is the place for it. If you like the collegiate atmosphere and what you see, you know, in Hoover, Alabama on TV, then, yeah, Bricktown's a better spot. But it's going to be a moot point here in the season anyway with uh, Oklahoma anyway. They will be in Hoover, so. It's going to be really interesting, too. I think I've heard rumors over the weekend circulating. The SEC may actually look at Arlington, and Big 12 may be looking for a new home. I don't see that happening, but I will say this. That atmosphere would be a lot better for SEC because, hey, Oklahoma fans don't travel great for baseball, so it's not like I'm saying it's an Oklahoma thing. But SEC fans, they travel. They may put 20,000, 30,000 people in for SEC tournament into that stadium. And then that changes the dynamic differently. No doubt. Yeah, then I'd be all for it. Uh, yeah, and that's, you know, geographically, when you look at Oklahoma and Texas, that would make sense to kind of help them out and play that tournament there. That would be a, a whole different animal when you're talking about LSU fans, Old Miss, Auburn, Vandy, all coming to town. Yeah, that would be a different deal. But as it is right now, it, like I said, it's a great environment to be in, but the environment for the game itself, you know, collegiate-wise, just isn't there. But you know, it was a great tournament. I'm an old-school baseball guy. I like conference tournaments, even though I get, you know, both sides of that argument. And uh, for Oklahoma, particularly, it was very needed. You know, that first win against Oklahoma State ultimately is what 
what what propelled them up to get in the tournament, and they had to have it. Randy looked like a team to me that was starting to to get on the right kind of run at the right time. I was on the field talking with Skip Johnson for the Texas Tech game. There was not a care in the world. It was very focused, very fun uh, dugout coming off that OSU win, and then my how things changed fast nine innings later. But you know, another game they had firm control of with a nine to five lead in the sixth inning, and that. You know, bullpen and errors just come back to bite them. But, uh, and you know, errors they being found... the big thing. When you look at it, what they give up? Four earned runs in that game, I think. It was pretty low. I know that Yeah. Much. Carmichael gave up five runs, four unearned. Yeah. I mean, that, that hurts. That hurts, man. So it's five earned runs in the game. So, yeah, that, that, yeah. that hurts. And you can't do that. And it, it'll be interesting to see how the team bounce back. I, I think the energy they had, in the announcement, which they should have been, it was almost like a relief, you know? So now this team can go play loose. I don't know if they were playing loose the last two weeks of the season. No, I'm, I'm with you. I think, you know, what we've said all year coming off an Omaha run and what they lost, which has been very well detailed, just making it into the NCAA field was the goal this year. You do that, and it's considered a good follow-up season to a World Series appearance. They did it. They're in. Yeah, I think the pressure's off. They, they find themselves where they've been striving to get to. They earned it. And now, you you know, you go play baseball and see what happens. And I think what's scary for the field, especially, you know, out there in Charlottesville, is I don't think we've seen Oklahoma play their best baseball top to bottom yet. And it, it might not happen, you know, that mm-hmm. they might be the team that we've seen. But when they can put it together on the mound and what they do offensively, it's, it's a dangerous club. And we've seen them beat TCU and Stanford and Texas. So the capabilities there, what's scary if you're an opponent is you don't know when that's going to happen. So a very intriguing series coming up, a regional. You know, it gets kicked off against the East Carolina team that, that gave Texas, pushed them to the wall last year. And uh, have a lot of returning talent, very stout offense, good pitching, and it's going to be close enough where I think they get get some fans to travel. So it won't be an easy task for Oklahoma, but like I said, I think they're just happy to be there. No doubt about it. Hey, man, let's let's switch gears and talk to Ben McDonald. We taped this interview earlier. Ben McDonald with ESPN and the Baltimore Orioles. And joining us now here on the Bullpen Brothers, myself and Dave Myrick, we have our special guest, Ben McDonald from ESPN, and also does some Baltimore Orioles stuff as well. But talking a little college baseball because it's regional weekend. Ben, thanks for joining us today, man. Yeah, my pleasure, man. It, it, look, it, it, it's the perfect time of the year, and uh, college baseball, we begin that, that road to Omaha, man. I'm looking forward to it, and like I told somebody this morning, now, now we play for real. Now we're really playing for real, so I'm looking forward to it. Hey, Ben, no doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Just sorry, real fast. I got a question, and then, Dave, you can take it. It's like, Ben, this is your time of year. You talk about it's playing for real. You went to LSU. You were involved in a lot of those great teams. What's it like being a college player where you know the one destination every year when you start the season is Omaha? What's it like when this time of year finally rolls around for those guys in the well, Yeah, I mean, look, this is why you, you, you play fall and you have two-a-day workouts and you do all those things that you do to try to get better, not only individually but as a player, to maybe get an opportunity to, to play on the biggest stage and play in Omaha. And this is where all the work you put in, all the years of dreaming about and watching the College World Series on TV and finally maybe an opportunity to play in it. Uh, this is when it gets special, you know. And, and look, this is the time you're, you're like a big league ball player, right? Like you wake up every morning, you ain't got to go to class, school's over, finals have been done, 
And so now, man, I, I wake up every morning and I sleep, eat, and I breathe baseball. That's what it's all about. So it's, it's almost like you're a professional player now. And so, so much on the line now. It's been a heck of a journey. You know, over 300 teams began this journey to get where the 64 are right now. And now you're one of the lucky 64 to be in there. And we look, we know by the last two years anything can happen when you get to postseason play. I think Ole Miss was a perfect example of that last year. A team that finished, I think, eighth or ninth in the SEC, fifth in the Western Division, barely limped into the NCAA tournament, and yet won the, the national championship. You go back one more year. I remember Mississippi State came to Hoover, Alabama, to the SEC tournament. They get not only beat, they go 0-2. They get 10 run ruled in both of their ball games in Hoover. And everybody goes, well, it was a good run for Mississippi State. It's over for them. They just got 10 run ruled twice. And they're about to hit the skids. And yet they go on to win the national championship. So you just really don't know what you're going to get. You, you think you know what the favorites are. But let me be honest, nobody would have picked Ole Miss last year to win the national title. And they did. And that's what I love about the game of baseball is at the end of the day, you just don't know who's going to win this thing. Yeah, Ben, to your point, I, I think Ole Miss was one of the, the last four teams to make it actually in the field last year and end up winning the entire thing. Cra- crazy run, but you're, you're an SEC guy, LSU guy. That's kind of your bread and butter. Really wanted to get your thoughts on an upcoming move that, that's been somewhat documented with Oklahoma and Texas jumping ship from the Big 12 to the Southeastern Conference, baseball specifically. What, what, what's kind of the reception been like down in that area? Well, what, what do people think about that move? Well, I think when people look at it, I mean, you, I guess you already consider the SEC to be obviously the top conference out there, the power conference out there. And I think, you know, I think the people in SEC are actually excited about it because you bring in two outstanding programs, not only in baseball, but in football, gymnastics, softball. I mean, you look at all the things. You're just an Oklahoma team that, that, that seems to win everything in softball, I feel like. You know, gymnastics, they're up there every year. Uh, you know, Texas has a great football program, great baseball program. Uh, I think it only makes the, the SEC the bigger conference out there, you know. And uh, while I like it because I'm an SEC guy, I do feel for all the other conferences that are out there because I feel like we're starting to jump around a lot. There's a lot going on now, you know. And I think it's about money and, you know, the SEC and the revenue. Uh, I think these teams are looking at it going, hey, I can go to the SEC. And I think the, the average team in the SEC got, what, $48 million last year or something off revenue. And I think it, it's, it's become, unfortunately, about – about money, I think, and if you you've always been able to follow the money around these kind of deals. So I, I hate to see the Big Twelve, the Pac twelve, and things change across the board. But I guess change happens from time to time. But you know, if you look at the baseball side of things, and, and I, look, I'm an SEC guy, and, and and that's not SEC country up there where you guys are. But if you look at the baseball side of things, the SEC's won three in a row national titles, four of the last five, five of the last eight, and eight of the last thirteen national titles in baseball, you know, and when you add Texas and Oklahoma to that mix, it's only going to make it that much stronger of a conference. Hey, Ben, no doubt about it. And it's really amazing what the SEC has been able to do over the stretch run that you just talked about. And some of that, I think it's only going to get stronger because I was going to get your thoughts on the college game in general. It seems like with the shorted draft in the major leagues, talent levels going up, which so much of that talent staying in the SEC, but it seems like major league teams are not forcing guys to go to college, but almost preferring the college guys when you look at the major league rosters across the board nowadays. Yeah, look, I don't disagree. I mean, we know that 88 uh, uh, players on, on big league rosters this year on opening day came from the SEC and, you know, there was, I think, about about that many between, I think, the Pac-12 
And yeah, the Pac-12 the next postage conference. I can't remember which conference that was, you know, but a lot of guys that are, are, are having success in pro ball and making it to big leagues are coming from the college game. That's where they're coming from now, you know, and look, when you're playing in the power five conference or playing college baseball in general, it's to me, it's a lot better. You know, we had Dylan Cruz on the other day who potentially could be the number one pick over LSU this year. And, you know, he had an opportunity could have been a first round draft pick out of high school out of Florida. And he wanted that college experience. And I asked him straight up the other day in Hoover. And I said, listen, how about your decision to come and play college baseball? He said, he said, he said, look, it's the best decision I ever made. He said, man, I'm getting three years of my education. I got to play the game at a high level. Uh, I'm going to get to play in the postseason again. And, and he said, I would advise any kid that's coming out of high school that, that's kind of sitting on the fence on what to do. I would always push him toward the college game. I had the opportunity, you know, I got drafted by the Braves out of high school. Uh, didn't want that experience at the time. I wanted to go to LSU. I wanted to play basketball. I wanted to play baseball. I wanted to fulfill that dream and, and be an amateur athlete at a high level. And so I could never steer anybody away from coming to the college. I just think it's a place that you can grow and mature, uh, get some of your education. On the flip side of that, guys, if you're going to be a, a high first-round draft pick, I can, my, in my right mind, I can't tell you to turn down $5 million. I think that's absurd. I think you have to go, right? Exactly. But if you're a guy that's sitting – yeah, but if you're a guy sitting on the fence and, you know, maybe you're a second-rounder and they're offering you and, – and look, I'm not saying 800000 is not a lot of money or a million bucks. That is a ton of money. But is that worth you walking away from a dream? Because let's be honest. A million bucks turns into 600000 after taxes, and then you buy a car and a place to stay. And you ain't got a ton of money. Let's be honest. You ain't living on that the rest of your life, right? Right. And so I still like the college game uh, for guys to go mature, get better, learn the game of baseball. And it speaks for itself. We have more college games, college kids in MLB baseball than we ever have before because they're developing guys. And you're right. I think big league clubs like kids that go to college because they can start them at a higher level in the minor leagues and hopefully get them into the big leagues a lot faster than high school guys. Ben, yeah, to your point, I followed some recruits the last decade or so that, that were committed to Oklahoma, never never played for OU, decided to, to sign, and, and all of them are now out of baseball, uh, never got a shot. And I, I really I hate that for kids because I'm with you. I think that college experience is is worth it, but like you said, you know, we don't know everybody's situation. That's a lot of money when it's flashed at somebody. So, yeah, we get it. You know, it worked out well for you. I think you were a 27th round draft pick, and you decided to go to college and a Golden Spikes and All American and become the first round pick. But I'm not not real familiar with uh, or how familiar you are with Oklahoma getting into the field over Kansas State. Uh, it's been quite a topic around here this week. Have you had much of a chance to check that out and why it happened? Well, yeah, I, I know a lot. You know, the committee leaned hard on the RPI this year is what it felt like, you know. And I did see John Cohen's interview at the Celestia Show, and there were a few teams that were, you know, left out. But, it, you know, it seems like we're there every year where you can make a case for a handful of other teams that, that don't get in, you know. And I'm a little bit familiar with, with – with K-State and their record and what they did and in the, in their RPI versus what other RPIs are. And, and, look, it's a flawed system in some ways. I don't know if there is a perfect system in there. Uh, you know, the RPI is important because it, 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 it says who you played, your strength of schedule, all those the games you won, your opponent's winning percentage, you know, against teams that they play. So I don't know that it's a perfect system. I feel like we're always going to leave somebody out, you know, when it comes to that. And so – I understand people being upset, but I, I, I don't know what 
to be honest with you, I had this conversation with Mike Rudy the other day. I don't know what the fix is. You know, like I don't know how uh, – now Rudy's a big fan of expanding the field and going from 64, you know, to maybe 72. Wow. And and that way you get more teams in, obviously. But I feel like even if you go to 72, there's going to be three or four mm-hmm. teams jumping up down screaming and hollering going, hey, we're not one of the 72. How come we're not in? You know, and so I don't think that's a – that's a, a, a fix of things either. You know, I mean, college basketball has more than we have as far as the D1 teams, and they're still at 64 teams. Now, you can make the case in football, you know, that, that a lot of teams play pole games or whatever. But, you know, I don't know I don't know what the, what the fix is. You know, West Coast baseball was down a little bit this year overall, uh, and Stanford got to be a top eight national seed. But if I look at Stanford, I go, well, the Pac-12 was off a little bit this year. Stanford didn't play not one top 25 opponent the entire year. Not one. Wow. And I go, well, wait a minute. How? Just because you say you won the Pac-12 championship, and people tell me, well, the Pac-12 has to have be a national. Whoever wins the Pac-12 has to be a national seat. No, does it? Does it really? Is it about the top eight best teams in the country or about teams that won their, their certain conferences? And there's going to be certain conferences around the country every year that – for whatever reason, they're going to be down a little bit. And the fact that Stanford – and look, Stanford's been to the last two college world series. I'm not taking anything away from them. But when I look at some teams that didn't get to be a top eight and maybe they won 16 games against the top 25 RPI and Stanford didn't even play a game against the top 25 RPI, I start to go, wait a minute, are, are we really doing this the right way? So, look, there's flaws in it. I, I get that piece of it, you know. And so I don't know what the perfect formula is. Maybe we need to get some – some more <laughs> mathematicians in there to kind of break all this down and how it all breaks down during the season on who you play and all that kind of stuff and, and the wins and losses. And maybe there's a better system out there, but right now I just don't see. I, I'm with you, Ben. And really my only solution I've had over all the years of covering college baseball, because I've seen committees do different things like this year, really value the RPI and almost go right down the line. But then also I've seen the committees where the RPI second or third choice I think if I was a coach, and you tell me this if I'm wrong, because I got a feeling you've talked to a lot of coaches. I think it'd be nice just to have a checklist to know this is what the committee is going to value one through 10. And that way you can do your scheduling by that. And right now I feel right. like it's a no. crapshoot every year. Yeah, well, see, see, this that's the problem in itself is that the committee can lean whatever way they want to lean. In other words, they can throw out numbers to support their decision because they have – so much available. They could say one year, well, well, we valued the RPI this year, you know, and then the next year they could say, well, we, 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 we put this team in because look, they had some big injuries early in the year. Those guys are coming back healthy now. And that's the reason why we put this team where we put them. So they can lean on whatever way they want to lean. And here's the, here's the ugly truth of this. I think some of the people on the committee never see a Fresno state play one game this year, never see, Campbell play a game this year. And so that's why it's a flawed system in some ways. Is And I don't know if it's their fault or not, but it's hard to make decisions on teams when you've never even seen them play one ball game. But I don't know if there's a way that we can get our committee around during the season to be able to go see these teams play unless you dial it up on TV and you hit record and you go back and watch a lot of games. You know, it's just hard to it, – It's like I said, it's a flawed system. And you're going to leave some teams out every year. I feel like they're probably deserving of being in. But I feel like we can say that about basketball, you know, in the 64 and basketball. I feel like we can say that about football sometimes in the football playoffs occasionally. So it is what it is, man. And like somebody told me the other day, hey, if you're on the bubble and you didn't make it, you got to play better next year. You just got to be better. 
that's the bottom line. You got to be so good that they can't let you out and you got to be in, you know? And so I know that's kind of a hard line stance to say, but sometimes if you're not going to have the strength of schedule and your RPI is not going to be very high. And, and here's the sad thing. Like you said, sometimes you schedule some teams several years out, hoping and knowing that that is a good team. That's going to get my RPI value up. And all of a sudden that team has an off year, right? And you're not getting any credit for that at all. You're actually backing up in the RPI. So that's a gamble that you take. Now, I'll tell you one thing I'm not a fan of, and I see it happening more and more. I'm not a fan late in the year of some of these teams canceling their midweek games because it's a lesser opponent that's going to hurt their RPI, whether they win it or lose it, and so they just cancel that game. I am not a fan of that. If you schedule a team, you should have to play them. If you don't want to play them, then you get credit for a loss. You get credit for a forfeit, and that's the way it should be. But this stuff about well, you know, I can't go play this team in the midweek game because even if we win it, our RPI is going down. No, I'm sorry. You had 55 other games during the year to make a difference, and this one game is not going to break you. Now, some people have suggested, hey, why don't we go to a system where we can throw out our worst three games of the year, and then we'll go ahead and, and do the RPI off of that. Well, maybe that's an idea. I don't know. I don't know. But I think it's something the committee can certainly kick around uh, and try to make this thing better. I'm just not a fan of everybody gets a trophy. I think it should be the best 64. I think it should be the best eight or national seeds. I don't care if you won your conference. I don't. I really don't care. To me, that's not a guarantee to be a top eight national seed. I care that you're one of the top eight teams. I care that you're one of the top 64. And I don't think everybody should get a trophy in this. I think it should be the best team. And I know that's a hard thing to do, but I think that's, that's where I am on it. Well, Ben, I mean, to your point, there is no perfect system. I mean, it's in ba- basketball and football, you have four teams in the football. There's always going to be the fifth and sixth pissed off they didn't get in. Sure. No, di- no different in basketball. No, I, I don't know what the solution is. Like you said, if you go to 72, the, the 73rd and 74th team would be mad. But, you know, after listening to you, I think you and Rooney should get together and, and give something to the committee, you know, that you guys come up with. I, I would trust that a whole lot more than where we're at right now. But Kind of, kind of getting back on topic, uh, I just covered the Big Bowl tournament. The best team I saw top to bottom, hands down, was TCU with the way they're playing. That Fayetteville Regional, Ben, is, is real interesting with, with the Hogs. Who do you see coming out of that regional and, and kind of why? Well, I mean, it's hard. I mean, Dave Van Horn does such a good job, guys, and he's been so close for so many years. We know that, and – that's a tough place to play. Like, that's one of the toughest places to play in all of college baseball because when they start calling the hogs out there in Fayetteville and, and that, that place gets rowdy with 11 or 12 grand in that place, it's a very difficult place to play. Dave Van Horn doesn't have the, the big-name players that a lot of the SEC schools have, but all he does every year is just win. The dude just wins. He knows how to win. It's a system that's been in place. What did he have, nine trips to Omaha, I think seven with, with Arkansas and – a couple somewhere else, you know, but the, he just wins. And so I, I don't see any reason why Arkansas doesn't come out of that one just because of their experience. And, and they got guys that have been there before, and David Horn's been there a ton of times. And, and playing at home, it's a big home field advantage, certainly. Hey, you know, I wanted to ask you really kind of in general about the SEC. You mentioned your SEC country. So many of them have national seeds and regional hosts, and I think rightfully so. But what are your thoughts on – what this conference can do as far as coming in and making to Omaha. How many teams do you think make it to Omaha from the SEC this year? I mean, that's a great question. You, you never know, you know, I mean, but I mean, realistically looking at it, you know, 
Florida, I think, is probably the most talented team in the entire country. And they, you know, they got Caglione there. They call him the jackhammer, right? He's like Shoei Otani of, of college baseball. Gets on the mound, throws 97. I think he's got 28 jacks this year, which leads, you know, our tops in the country. Uh, they got a lot of other guys. Froke's really good. Walter came from Southern Miss, you know, transferred. And they got a real start for three on the weekend rotation. And they got some very – Rivera, they got some big offensive pieces in there, too. And, of course, they're at home. And so – they, they're really good. Vanderbilt's kind of been up and down for me a lot. But, of course, they won the SEC tournament, seem to be playing their best baseball. Corbin does a wonderful job over there. So, I mean, I do like Florida. I do like Arkansas. Uh, I certainly like Vanderbilt. Uh, now, LSU, on the other hand, top eight national seed, only seven and seven in their last 14 games. Uh, I'm not sure what LSU can do yet. Like, part of me says, because I've seen so much magic at Alex Box Stadium over the years, that LSU's going to find a way to get going. But they have serious issues in the bullpen. The offense is one of the best offenses in the entire country. I mean, it averages 9.3 runs per game. I think it's the fifth-best offense in the whole country. They hit the fourth or fifth most home runs. They're going to bang it. The problem LSU has, when you get away from Paul Skeens, who will likely be the first or second pick in the draft this year, uh, LSU's pitching staff, to be honest, is just not very consistent at all. It's just not. And so if they get some guys to elevate, LSU's going to go, put it like this, LSU will go as far as their pitching will take them uh, in this postseason play. I, if you ask me if I'd be shocked they made it to Omaha, I would not be shocked at all. But I also would not be shocked if they don't come out of the Super Regional either because their pitching has just been very erratic with some injuries uh, along the way. And so I'm a little bit off on them. Now, Texas A&M, is a team that was in Omaha last year, and they came to, to the SEC tournament the other day having to what most people felt like needed to win one game to be able to solidify of getting into the SEC tournament as a three seed. Well, they go all the way to the championship game and get beat by Vanderbilt. It is a team that has turned it around from a pitching standpoint. I think Texas A&M is as dangerous as anybody right now. So if you're looking kind of for a sleeper along the way in the SEC, it could be Texas A&M. Uh, another team I would kind of just throw you throw your way is Oral Roberts uh, has won 18 consecutive games. You know, the longest winning streak going in. Of course, they're in there with Oklahoma State. That's who Oklahoma State is going to play. But that's a sleeper for you. Of course, Clemson's not really a sleeper. Uh, they're a top seed, no top four or five national seed. But I think they've won 16 straight games going in, too. So Clemson is red hot, and so is Oral Roberts right now. And so you know, you still never know. You don't ever know what's going to happen. I, I'm super excited to get it kicked off. And there's going to look, guys, there's going to be upsets. We know that. I mean, the ones tend to go down a little bit uh, because you're throwing your number two or three best starter. And of course, that number four seat's throwing their ace, and all of a sudden they catch lightning in the bottle. We see it happen every year. Somebody gets upset and has to come through the loser's bracket, you know. So that's the gamble you take, and uh, that's part of this, this tournament. That's what makes it so great. Yeah, it definitely is, Ben. Uh yeah, that, that Stillwater Regional is nuts with Dallas Baptist or Roberts. Those teams have just been, you know, thorns in the side of Oklahoma teams forever. But, uh, yeah, I just wanted to thank you for coming on, man. I know that you guys are rocking and rolling this time of year. You're one of the best in the business. Love listening to you call games. And this has been very insightful, everything I thought it would be. And uh, good luck. And we'll be, we'll be watching and, and listening to you, bud. I appreciate it, man. I, I enjoy visiting with you guys. Look forward to doing it again, man. It's a, it's a great time of the year to be a baseball fan, and I hope everybody tunes in and catches some of this action. It's going to be a lot of fun action here in the next couple of weeks. Man, that was a great interview there we had with Big Ben, and great talker. I always love watching his games, Dave. Fun man to talk to and hope to have him on again for sure. 
Oh yeah, he's great. One of the best in the business. I had just listening to him and Mike Rooney and a couple of ESPN analysts talk college baseball. I could do it all day. In fact, you know, some days I do. But now getting him on and his insight to the Southeastern Conference and you know what it, what he kind of thinks about the committee and then RPI and then the metrics they use very insightful and uh, can't can't wait to watch him coming up in the regional starting Friday. All right, let's talk fun. We talked a little bit about the Oklahoma Regional. We'll get back into that in a minute, but let's deal with the elephant in the room, Kansas State. I. I'm not going to bash anyone here because I'll be honest. I see both sides of the story. Yeah, on Twitter, I've been bashing because Hughes is an idiot. But <laughs> but my thing for this is, again, we just talked about it with Ben when I said the committee doesn't have a checklist that you know what they value. But my thing is this. You know they potentially value RPI. So you know you need to schedule stronger. Pete Hughes did this at Oklahoma, probably cost him a potential regional berth earlier in his tenure at Oklahoma. Thank God, because he might still be here. Um, so, you know, you look at it, and, and that's just one thing. He's never fixed the problem. Why are you playing some of the schools you do? And the other thing that irked me is when you heard him talking with Kendall Rogers, and even Kendall said, you know, that probably wouldn't help you when he said, drop the bottom five. And I agree. You know, that's maybe a good system. But, Pete, when you schedule the way you do, you're not going to improve your RPI. I don't understand when he acts like it's a regional problem. Go through the state of Oklahoma. Go play Texas schools. They'll return the trip, and a lot of them are good teams. He could fix his own problem, but he won't. Yeah, Randy, I, I don't understand. I'm with you. I don't understand. I understand. All right. I see both sides like you do, and I've been telling Kansas State fans that, that follow us on Twitter and are asking, you know, what happened. Look, RPI is a known metric to get bubble teams in, and lo and behold, they used RPI to get bubble teams in. In lieu of playing, you know, a Montana State next year uh, or the year after, go get Stanford and, and then win it, win a couple games at least. That looks good on your resume this week opposed to what you've had and he's known that now that being said i understand the gripe i understand a team got in over them that they swept head to head Mm -hmm. you know and then kind of like you said if you're not going to reward head to head wins what are we doing here but that gets back to ben's point there is no perfect system and i understand looking at non-conference strength of schedule i think oklahoma's 22nd kansas state is past 130 in the country so that's, that starts to narrow it down pretty fast why they chose Oklahoma. But, yeah, I'm with you, and I think you're right. He knows what the problem is, yet he continues to do this year in, year out. And for Kansas State fans, let me just say, there, there is no grand scheme by the committee just to keep Kansas State out. It's not a name-brand thing. It has nothing to do with mm-hmm. that. Pull up the RPI, strength of schedule, and non-conference strength of schedule, and you'll see why you're home and Oklahoma's in. Yeah, because, I mean, here's the thing. It, it's not like – these are neutral site games, right? And so they want a bigger name, quote-unquote, brand in Oklahoma because 10,000 fans are traveling to Charlottesville to help sell out that arena, that stadium. Mm-hmm. That That's not the deal. If you want to tell me sometimes in college basketball that is a deal, I'm going to buy that. Those are neutral site games. You know, maybe that does happen a little more. College baseball, those stadiums sell out anyway because why? they're on the home campus of the host team. They're not worried about that. They, they aren't worried about that. It literally comes down to the metrics. And usually, I can tell you this much, whether it's strength of schedule, 
whether it's RPI, you know, whatever it is, those are the main things. And it always has been right, wrong, or indifferent. I'm not a biggest fan of using head to head. I mean, I'm really not. Yeah, they play three games, but guess what? You play 56 games in the year, 56. And if in that time period, in those 56, the other team racks up Oklahoma had, I think I saw the name, Mark Baker, our friend on Twitter, tweeted, I believe Oklahoma had 16 wins against top 50 teams. Kansas State had two. That's why I'm like, throw head to head out. I don't care if you beat the bludgeon them. And this could be a Texas versus a Texas A&M deal. It's not having a dog in the fight. Head to head doesn't always matter because there are factors. Was somebody injured, a star player? You know, you can take that out. That's why you take the encompass of a whole schedule when you're doing a postseason tournament field. And that's why Kansas State's argument, I'm just like, Fix your schedule problem. You mentioned it to start the show. Ryan Gaines, he fixed the problem at Oklahoma. Now, I will say this. Sometimes it's a crapshoot because college baseball, we know rosters turn over and a team that was great last year and you schedule them for next year. Oh, crap. They ended up getting nailed by the draft and even the high-profile recruits they had coming in didn't make it to campus. That team's not as good. But you know what? When you look at the teams that were on Kansas State's schedule, they didn't do that that much. Even their trip to California, they didn't try to go play full, you know, a lot of the big dogs out there. If you're going to California, right. play some good teams. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And, and don't be mad at Oklahoma. Oklahoma just did what they could do, and that's win games against tougher competition that got themselves in. I mean, you look at the last day of the tournament, yeah, I mean, you got a 40-loss two-lane team that sneaks in. You get DBU losing to Charlotte, I think, and that opened mm-hmm. up another spot. It shouldn't have to, you know, take a look at those games. Be mad at those teams. That's what got them out. Because before this weekend, all I kept hearing from Mike Rooney was the Big 12 more than likely is going to get seven teams in. And if they do, this is a, a moot point. Both are in. Both are happy. But, you know, things shook out on the last day, which tends to happen, that, that kicked them out. And the determining factor is what we're talking about. Yeah. Play a tough schedule and win those. Hey, but look at the other regionals. Enough of that. I, I'm tired of Kansas State because it, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> Let, let's let's look at the other regionals. And if you want to know how the Big 12 didn't get any favors, they got no favors at all as a conference. Yes, they got a regional host. But you give Oklahoma State, DBU, and Oral Roberts, along with a really good Washington team, the one host they get, they loaded that regional. Absolutely did with teams that have already beaten Oklahoma State this year and are not afraid of the Cowboys whatsoever, whether it's at their place or not. Uh, no, no favors done. Texas goes out to Coral Gables in another loaded regional. TCU gets Arkansas and Dave Van Horn squad in Fayetteville. You know, Oklahoma's heading to, to Virginia, who's, as always, a very good squad. No, there is no easy path to the Supers for any Big Bowl team. And I said it earlier, Dave, you were down there, you watched the tournament, you saw a lot of the pitching. The level of pitching, the level of talent in this conference, it's not bad. But I I don't feel like any team in this conference could feel safe if they lost a game and battling back out of the tournament because you noticed it on Sunday for Oklahoma State. Yeah, they were able to get four wins, you know, or, you know, battle with two games on Saturday to make the title game. But starting pitching is an issue in this conference. And, you know, you're going to be playing teams with deeper staff. So, like, 
Some of these teams were able to outslug somebody. Even TCU outslugged OSU on Sunday to win the Big 12 title. You know, you're not necessarily going to be able to outslug some of the tournament teams you're going to play in the tournament through the loser's bracket because they've got some good arms coming at you. Yeah, they do. They're deeper. Like you just said, it's, it's why we saw Oklahoma make it to uh, Omaha last year, right? you got three weekend starters that, you know, will more than likely be on major league rosters. Uh, Chaz Martinez is a middle guy and uh, Christian Michael to close the door. But they also had guys they could pump out, you know, when you're, you're down three arms and in the fourth game or third game of the tournament, you know, to when you start really seeing some scores get elevated and they kept it low and then were able to, to move on. But the Big 12 is lacking just that this year. Uh, after the first, you know, first, second, maybe third starters for these teams, it's going to be very dicey with what's out of the pen and what they're facing. I mean, these teams can all hit. And like you said, most conferences, top to bottom, have better pitching and deeper pitching. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be an uphill battle for every big full team. Yeah, in fact, I know we're doing a little friend bracket on D1 baseball. I think I had one team making it out of regionals, and it is Oklahoma State. I think Oral Roberts is good. I think DBU is good. It wouldn't shock me to see any of the four teams there win the regional. I do feel like home field is going to play an advantage for Oklahoma State. I think they get it done, but that's the only team I have making it to Super Regionals. Yeah, same here, same bracket. Uh, I stared long and hard at TCU. I like that yep. squad. I like that they're playing, but you know, it's been touched on. Uh, playing Arkansas, you know, when they start calling the Hogs in Fayetteville, that's a different animal, and it's something TCU has not seen this year. And uh, I don't see them coming. I don't see them making it out of that. Oklahoma State is the one team. Even it does, it's not an easy road. But they're the one team that, that gets the benefit of the, the home field, which is big in college baseball regional, so I'm with you. That's the team I've got making it. But no, and, and even they have a very, very tough tough route to get there. But I, I don't see any other Big 12 team coming out. Yeah, I think it's going to be tough. We talked a little of Oklahoma. I think you'll see them put up a good fight. ECU, I mean, guys, they're really good. I mean, they, they had some struggles down the stretch, but a month ago they were being talked about about a regional host. I mean, this team is no chop liver. You talked about them pushing at, in East Carolina, pushing Texas to the brink last week or last year. They got a lot of those guys returning. That's a very good ball club. And that's a school, even though it's a small non-Power 5 school, they know how to win when it comes college baseball postseason time. Yeah, no doubt about it, Randy. And let's talk about some other teams in the Big 12 that find themselves outside of that, that host conversation now. That were kind of firmly in it maybe two weeks ago. West Virginia, Texas. How does that change? You know their psyche. You know, they, they go from thinking they're going to have that home home field backing and crowd behind them, and they're one of the best in the country, to now having to go play very tough teams on the road. So, what do you think the Longhorn? What's going through the mind of the Longhorns and Mountaineers right now? I, I'm sure Texas is questioning itself a little. You know, just because I mean they did have it in their grasp. I think all they had to do was win one, maybe two games in the conference tournament, and that would have solidified them as a host. You know, so I'm mm -hmm. sure they're kicking themselves. I feel like they're going to be able to bounce back and battle hard in that Coral Gables regional. The one that I question is West Virginia because it was a bad tournament for them coming off a three-game sweep at Texas. That's 0-5 down the stretch. Yeah. I, I'm sure they've got confidence. I mean, they've been good all year long. But if there's ever been a point where maybe they've questioned themselves, Dave, it's got to be now, which that is not the time you want to be questioning yourself as a team. 
No, Randy, and I can tell you, talking to some West Virginia beat writers out in Arlington, uh, that's kind of kind of the consensus. That's what's going on with this team is lack of confidence, losing confidence, and yeah, that is the wrong time to happen. A, a team that you know we we both thought clear cut was the best team in the Big Twelve for a big chunk of the season, going to be a no doubt about it, no brainer host. And yeah, they go zero and five to finish this thing out. Now have to go on the road for regional. That yeah, that's what I'm very curious to watch, see how and if they rebound, but. Uh, wanted to switch gears. I, I think we're about to get Cade Cavalli, former Oklahoma great, on to kind of see what his life in the majors is like and what his rehabs, you know, how that's going for him. And joining us now here on the Bullpen Brothers, former Oklahoma great and current Washington national Cade Cavalli. Cade, thanks for taking some time out this week to join us and talk a little baseball, man. Of course. I appreciate you all having me on. Thank you. Hey, Dave, your career has been a great one. You, you were at Oklahoma. You were on a team in 2020 that got nixed by COVID, which I think you guys were destined to do great things that year. But since you've been in the majors, you've made the fast climb, and unfortunately this year dealing with that arm injury, what's it been like in your rehab so far? It's been really good. Um, the surgery went great. Um, Dr. Meister said it went the plan, and uh, you know they, they set out a plan um, week to week for me, and the main goal is just executing that each week, hitting our check marks, and thankfully so far we we have done that, and it's all going smoothly, and uh, it's it's just an uphill climb from here, and I'm excited for it, and the the energy around the complex, and got a great uh, staff there to help me get through this, and so it's all been it's all been really great. Bullpen Brothers, Dave, my friend, Heights, talking with former Oklahoma pitcher Cade Cavalli. And Cade, for those maybe unfamiliar with uh, your injury and rehab and timetable, if you could kind of kind of walk walk people through what you do since surgery, you know, what the, what the timeline is like to get back to throwing, kind of the steps along the way. Yeah, for sure. Um, so after surgery, uh, you won't be touching a baseball until six months, and then so six months post surgery, I'll start lightly tossing. And up until then, um, I'm, I've been able to do, like, lower half lifting. Um, we're doing, like, left arm stuff so that we can strengthen the upper body still and have some of that strength transfer over to the right arm, hopefully, so that whenever I do get into the throwing, it's not just been sitting there doing nothing. Um, and then at the nine-and-a-half-month mark, I will get off the mound and be able to throw bullpens. And then around the 12- to 14-month, so a year, after surgery is whenever you're expected to be put into the game-like situations. And then by the 14th month mark, you should be completely in the game, ready to rock, ready to roll. So that's the plan. And uh, like I said earlier, it's all it's all going to plan right now. We're 10 weeks in post-surgery. And uh, the arm's feeling really good. So I'm excited about it. Hey, Cade, you know, I, I know we'll talk about your days at Oklahoma, but – I'm sure you've kept up with this team, but what's kind of weird about your situation in the Nationals, there's a chance when you get back and, you know, two years down the road, you're going to have three Sooners in that rotation. Have you been able to catch up with, like, Jake Bennett some? And, of course, Jake Irvin's up there on the roster or has been at times this year. Has it been kind of neat seeing some of those fellow Sooners with you? Yeah, that's always cool. Like, um, so this year in big league spring training, there was Brady Lindsley, who's mm-hmm. in double A with Harrisburg Senators right now. Jake Irvin was in that camp, and obviously he's been in the big league this year. Um, so that's really cool. And and then last year we drafted Jake Bennett. So we got four four Sooners in the 
organization right now. And that's just, it's really cool seeing those guys, those familiar faces and, uh, you know, it's past teammates. So it's really cool to see everyone making it to the next level and just keeping up with each other, trying to push each other to get where we want to go and where we believe we can go. And that is to be in a position where we can help the Nationals win some ball games at the major league level. No doubt you will, Kate. Uh, jumping back to your, your time at Oklahoma, that was 20, your last year, 2020, the, the COVID season that, that struck everybody, you know, and, and halted everything in its place. So I know that team was, it had all the earmarks to be very special. You know, Dame mm-hmm. Akers, hitter, and, and what you guys did to LSU, and I think maybe beat Arkansas. And so anyway, had a bunch of people excited and talking, and bam, it's over. What was that like as a player on a team like that with those expectations just have it shut down all at once? I mean, there's really one word <laughs> that describes that for me because I I figured that that was going to be the last year that I was able to be on that team with those brothers. And obviously we were making a great run at it. We were very confident in the squad we had. And whenever that news hit us, it was 10 o'clock at night. Joe, Joe C. came in the locker room, told us what was going on. Season's over. And it just hurt. That was it. It just hurt. And uh, it was like, you know, it just put everything on pause for a second. And you're just like, dang, like we were about to make that run, we felt like. And, uh, you know, it, it just it, – it sucked because that was the last time that I was going to get to pe- compete with those guys that we had worked so hard with together that we went through a ton of stuff. And we are a very, very, very close group. And, you know, it just hurt. It's still it's still crazy that you know it's just unfinished business in our minds, and we wish we could have that year back, no doubt. Just along with everyone else in the country, it was just a weird, weird time. You know, you mentioned unfinished business and hurt, and I'm sure you were excited to watch them last year. But is it kind of nice to see the program that you kind of helped revitalize there at Oklahoma go and accomplish what they were able to do last year? And did that? That has to give you a little bit of pride knowing you were part of the ground level of getting that with Skip going. 100%. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we played a small part in that, but that team, they uh, they obviously had the chemistry, the culture, just everything that OU baseball um, represents and tries to teach along the way and through Skip and the staff. And, you know, they hammer that into, in, into us. It's, it's really, I mean, baseball is the priority, but it's it's creating good young men and people that know how to compete and do it the right way. And whenever you see a group like that make that kind of run, and especially at your alma mater, your your college that you played at, it's just you feel a ton of pride. Um, you're just extremely happy for them. I was extremely happy for Skip and the staff, and it was a it was a blast watching them make that run. And hey, hopefully we can do that again this year. Yeah, that was going to lead to the end of my question. I was actually uh, talking to Skip before the Texas Tech game down in Arlington, and what I thought was going to be a baseball-centered conversation turned into about 20 minutes of staring at the hunting and fishing picks on, on the phone. <laughs> He's a great guy, and I, I can see why the, the players respond to him. But uh, jumping to this year's team, have you had a chance to watch them? I, I know they made the field this, this week. What are your thoughts on this year's club and what, what, what you think they can do? Yeah, um, I I thankfully had the opportunity to go this winter and throw some bullpens um, with the squad and get to see the players and I got to hang hang around them during like early practices and I uh, got to see some bullpens and you know I, I liked what I saw and I I just I I know that this is a gritty team and they want it they want it bad they're hungry 
And, you know, anything can happen whenever you got a squad like that that believes in each other and, you know, they want to cause chaos on the field. And it's, it's pretty fun to watch. So I think that they got a really good chance. You know, a lot of people didn't expect them the year that they made that run in Omaha. And that's just, it's, you know, it's probably not expected a lot from from other fans, but within people that know the organization and know the kind of players that are there, it's you can't put that out of the question. I believe that there's an opportunity for them to go make a run and do exactly what they did. Hey, Cade, one final question for me, because we'll talk about OU. I, we, we like to talk about your days, and you've talked about Skip and the type of guy he is. Mm-hmm. What does he mean as a pitcher like yourself? You had such young, raw talent when you first got to Oklahoma. How did he help develop you into what you became, being that first-round draft pick? What, what does Skip do for pitchers? Yeah, he, um, you know, he's obviously been around great pitchers, and the knowledge that he possesses is it's truly incredible. And he helps us understand how our body needs to move down the mound. Um, so he, he will do all that stuff, but the strides that I felt like really, really helped me get to the next level and things that I'm still working on to this day, even on the mound. Um, it's, it's the mental side of the game. And Skip, he hones in on that, and he has studied it so much. He's been through it. He's seen players go through all sorts of, you know, just scenarios and situations and how to handle that mentally and be able to truly be in the process of pitch to pitch. And the only thing that matters in that moment is executing it. Once it leaves your hand, it's out of control. And it's the hardest thing to do because there's obviously environment. Um, you have your scouting report on the player. You might know what kind of damage they can do. That can enter your head. Just little stuff like that that he helped us overcome, manage. And, um, you know, it just creates a better free-minded pitcher. And that's, uh, that's the thing that I really, really took away from it. And like I already said earlier, he was like a second father, cared about me as a person, not just a player. I wasn't just a number. And um, that that goes a long ways. Whenever you're lacing up the cleats about to go compete for someone that has cared for you, and you know that they put the time in, so it's great to compete compete for him. Yeah, that echoes pretty much what what every other player that's played for Skip has said. Okay, uh, we just wanted to thank you for taking some time to come on. I, I know that you're uh, you're busy rehabbing. I, I've kind of worked with uh, your agent to, to get this done for a while and can't thank you enough for finding time to, to come on with us and good luck. We'll be watching and pulling for you, bud. Awesome. I thank you guys so much for having me on here. It was a blast. Thanks, Kate. That's Kate Cavalli, right. Washington National, former Sooner. Kate Cavalli, great player and great human there. Hey, Kate, thanks a lot, man. We'll talk to you on down the road, okay? Good luck on the rehab. Heck yeah. Thank you, guys. See you, Appreciate it. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Hey, Dave, let's just wrap up. We're going to include both these interviews. That was only 10 minutes. Okay. Yeah, so I'll leave your – we're switching gears. You know, I won't edit that off, and then we'll just go to Cade. And what do you want to talk about here? Just kind of recap some regional stuff? Uh. Yeah, I mean, we've diced up OSU, TC, Texas, West Virginia. Yeah, we've – Yeah, just kidding. We'll do – how about this? We'll kind of we've already done a lot of the regionals. We'll maybe touch on Texas Tech going to Gainesville, but other than that, talk about the transfer portal and how big it's going to be this year. Okay, that works. Okay, man, what an interview for Kay Cavalli. Love having him on. Love having all these former Sooners on to get their opinions on the staff and this team. It's it's nice to see they still keep up with the program as well, Dave. 
Yeah, it really is, Randy. And I've got to think without that that arm injury, dang it, he's probably you know up there with Jake Irvin, you know, pitching in the bigs. He was having that kind of trajectory on his career, but no, great, great catching up with Cade and getting his uh, insight into Oklahoma and then what they did last year and his time with the Sooners. But I uh, just kind of wanted to uh, to touch base on the Texas Tech Red Raiders going down to Gainesville just to, to switch gears. That's that's the one regional we haven't really talked about yet in the show. What are your thoughts on that one? To me, it's very interesting, Randy. Tech is a dangerous team. They're a dangerous team, but Ben McDonald put it best. Florida may be the most talented team. I mean, they are loaded on the mound. They're loaded in the field. And I just think, unfortunately, it's going to be too much for Tech to handle. I do have them as the runner-up in that regional. I think they make the regional final. But overcoming what Florida's got, I, I just can't pick Tech to do it because a lot of the same warts that Oklahoma has, you know, Tech has those same ones. And I, I don't see them escaping Gainesville. That's my one thing with them. Yeah, I don't either. But I, I have to – I don't need to remind you, but just, you know, say it that last year there was a, a team from Norman that went down to Gainesville that nobody gave a chance to come out of. That's true. And uh, – a rain delay later, they found themselves going off the super. So, you know, like Ben said, anything can happen. That's why we love this time of year. But, uh, yeah, that, that'll be a fun regional as all these they, – they will be. Oklahoma State gets the benefit of playing in front of a home crowd, which they earned. Not going to be easy and definitely not easy for the rest. Hey, one note for the Oklahoma regional. My nephew actually texted me on Monday. Last time OU went to Charlottesville, Army was the four seed. Just saying. Oh. And OU won that regional. Just saying. Yeah, I, I remember. Was it? Uh, was there a Cody for OU, a lefty that went yard in that game? The Panda. Yeah, Cody Wren. <laughs> yes. The Panda. Yeah, he, was, he went yard a few times during that regional. Yeah. He did. Yeah, that yeah. was a surprise for OU, and that maybe you know plays into a little confidence heading back up there. They're not going to be afraid of Virginia. I don't. They think. do. They do love the state of Virginia. Between Charlottesville and Blacksburg, OU's had a ton of success in that state. They have, and you know, I'm jumping ahead here to Virginia. They need to, to really focus on East Carolina. That's a dangerous team out of that regional. Oh, no doubt. That I actually have East Carolina as the runner-up in that regional. So, very, very scary team, and it wouldn't shock me to see East Carolina win that regional either. Hey, Dave, real nope. fast before we wrap up. Yesterday, kind of the first day after the holiday, things start happening. Coaches get let go. There was a tweet last night, and I haven't confirmed this number, that 600 players jumped in the portal yesterday. Oh, goodness. I hate to see it, Randy. Being a sports purist, a college purist, I hate it. Uh, but that's the world we live in with NIL. You know, you better get on board or you're going to get left behind. And that that is a crazy number. I think to specifically talk Oklahoma, I've maybe seen four players that have now put their name in the portal. Is that right? There's been four that were already in there since like February. And then okay. Julian Hashem got in yesterday. Okay, yeah. And you look at Wichita State, you know, decided to, to let their interim guy go. Which is wow. weird. Coach of the year. Coach of the year and a guy that I thought was was really establishing some groundwork and, and laying stuff for the few. I mean, they have a really good baseball program, but I thought for his part in it, he was about to start build something special, but they let him go. Obviously, the team did not like that. I think I've seen 16 to 17 guys off one now. team. Of 20. 20. I mean, you know, that, 
that's a ridiculous number. 600 to me is a ridiculous number. But, you know, I think just because guys put their name in the portal doesn't mean they'll all leave, obviously. But, hey, you know. That's- do you want me to take the player's side on this? I can really do it from talking to a bunch of guys that played, whether it's Juco ball, NAIA ball. College baseball have coaches have created this mess on their own. And okay. what, what I mean by that, scholarships are not guaranteed. It's not a four-year scholarship like a lot of people think it is. It's a year-to-year scholarship. College baseball are not full scholarships. No. Coaches at a lot of places love to oversign, which means you may get 30% this year. You may get 10% next year because they really needed to get that young stud on campus. So the way we want to rip athletes for not being loyal, especially in college baseball and any of these partial scholarship sports, you kind of have to rip the coaches as well. Because I can't blame a kid if all of a sudden you're getting 30% one year, you did nothing wrong, you may even competed well for your team, and you're cut back another 15%. I can't blame them for sometimes looking for a new area. No, I can't either, knowing that side of it. Uh, I can see both sides of it, regardless who's to blame, who's not to. I don't like it. And, it's, uh, you know, I, I think that combined with the NIL stuff is just taking collegiate athletics from what made it great and why people love it and trying to turn it into something else. That, you know, we we watch pro sports, NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA for, for that aspect of it because it's professional. We watch college for the opposite reason. I uh, think it's. Let's be real, you know, Dave. Let's be real. All NIL is done, all NIL done, literally, all it has done, it's made everything above board. Yeah, yeah, knowing that about baseball, college baseball specifically, the scholarships are spread out amongst the guys, and and it's a very, very small piece of the pie for most. Well, I'm just Uh, meaning, like, all the money these guys are getting, it's just made it above board. Like, I don't care what sport you're in. Guys were getting paid. Guys have been getting paid for years. Sure. Now sure. they're just doing it through the quote unquote legal way to keep it. It's and crazy. Also, I'm not necessarily saying I'm a fan of NIL, but really that's all NIL has done is said, Hey, you know what? We know it's happening. We don't want to enforce it anymore. Here you go. Because yeah, NCAA I, I, stopped enforcing it five years ago. I get what you're saying. I think it, it's given an unfair advantage to some programs that are, are better suited and better, uh, you know, set up to get guys over other programs that are now that's been, you know, being done under the table for decades, of course. So this just shines a lot on it, but no, I I get it. I think the transfer portal numbers are only going to climb, you know, as we get guys that don't, the things don't fall the way they want, right. They they don't get enough Mm -hmm. playing time. They they got a bad look from a coach and, and they put their name in the portal and we're just going to see more and more of it. Now, that being said, if you're a fan of a certain team, the coaches, whether they like it or not, they have my thoughts on it. They better get behind it and start embracing it and use it because those that are are succeeding and will succeed. Those that aren't are going to get left behind. And no doubt. And I think you're going to see a school like Oklahoma. They used it some last year. They really liked the portal. You're going to, I would not be shocked if you don't see a few Wichita State guys in Norman. There's a lot of good players up there. There's a few shortstops around the country. I noticed yesterday there were all-conference, almost all-American level that got in the portal. Now, also, we have to remember this. Out of the 600 guys that got in the portal, even Kendall tweeted this. Not everybody got in the portal to transfer. They got in the portal for leverage when it comes to the MLB draft. 
Like, hey, if you don't sign me, I've got a good offer over here at School X. Kind of like what happened to Oklahoma last year with Kyle Nevin and a couple of other guys from Baylor. You know, yeah, they were coming to Oklahoma, but they were able to use it as some leverage to get a little more money and get the signing bonus they wanted. So that's yeah, the other think- thing. It, it, and you bring up Wichita State. This this one last thing is an example. Their their big stud that actually walked off Oklahoma in a game earlier this year. Uh, Brock Rodden, I think the guy's name, or Blake, maybe. Right. Uh, he's really projected to, to sign, yet he's decided to put his name in the portal. I think for that exact reason. But, yeah, it, it's no, a that, safety that, blanket. <laughs> safety blanket. Right. Yeah, man, it's crazy. It's going to be fun to follow the portal though, because I think Oklahoma is going to be very active in it, and I don't think they're going to have a ton of turnover in the roster. But you saw Julian Hashem get in there yesterday, and I'm sure when the season officially comes to an end, there will be a guy, you know, one or two more guys. But I feel like the core will end up sticking around, and then it's going to just be adding the pieces around them. You got, I mean, Dakota Harris is gone. You got other guys. And when the season's over, we'll break down the roster and what we think may happen. We'll get into more of that next week or the following week, whenever their season comes to an end. We'll do it with some of the other teams in the Big 12 as well, Dave. But it's going to be a fun summer to follow the portal, I think, for some of these schools. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we'll keep track of everything that happens for the Big 12 baseball on on the baseball side of things. And, uh, you know, start looking ahead to next year and what teams need to do, what they need to replace, who's signing where, you know, and then what the needs of these teams are going to be and where they can find it. It's going to be a lot of fun. No doubt, man. Hey, Dave, another great episode. We'll be back next week, hopefully previewing some super regionals for some big, big 12 teams. If not, we'll put a bow on the Big 12 season and just talk college baseball next week.